are listening to Nightlight. Hello and welcome to this special Easter edition of Nightlight. This year it's going to be very special because you're going to listen to Charles Spurgeon's meditations on the Easter story. These are taken from his morning and evening daily devotionals. And I noticed that during March and April, the Easter period, he's written devotionals that cover the whole Easter story. And I found them just so deep, so rich, so feeding that I felt I just had to share them with you. The format of this show will mainly be the readings with a minute or so of instrumental music in between and also a devotional song at the beginning, middle and end. The topics of the readings follow the sequence of the events of the Easter story starting in the Garden of Gethsemane. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever
And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. There are several instructive features in our Savior's prayer in his hour of trial. It was lonely prayer. He withdrew even from his three favored disciples. Believer, be much in solitary prayer, especially in times of trial. Family prayer, social prayer, prayer in the church will not suffice. These are very precious, but the best beaten spice will smoke in your censer, in your private devotions, where no ear hears but God's. It was humble prayer. Luke says he knelt, but another evangelist says he fell on his face. Where then must be thy place, thou humble servant of the great master? What dust and ashes should cover thy head? Humility gives us good foothold in prayer. There is no hope of prevalence with God unless we abase ourselves, that he may exalt us in due time. It was filial prayer. Abba, Father. He will find it a stronghold in the day of trial to plead your adoption. You have no rights as a subject. You have forfeited them by your treason, but nothing can forfeit a child's right to a father's protection. Be not afraid to say, My father, hear my cry. Observe that it was persevering prayer. He prayed three times. Cease not until you prevail. Be as the importunate widow whose continual coming earned what her first supplication could not win. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Lastly, it was the prayer of resignation. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Yield and God yields. Let it be as God wills and God will determine for the best. Be thou content to leave thy prayer in his hands who knows when to give and how to give and what to give, and what to withhold. So, pleading earnestly, importunately, yet with humility and resignation, thou shalt surely prevail. His sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. The mental pressure arising from our Lord's struggle with temptation so forced his frame to an unnatural excitement that his paws sent forth great drops of blood which fell down to the ground. This proves how tremendous must have been the weight of sin when it was able to crush the Savior so that he distilled great drops of blood. This demonstrates the mighty power 
of his love. It is a very pretty observation of old Isaac Ambrose that the gum which exudes from the tree without cutting is always the best. This precious camphire tree yielded most sweet spices when it was wounded under the knotty whips and when it was pierced by the nails on the cross. But see, it giveth forth its best spice when there is no whip, no nail, no wound. This sets forth the voluntariness of Christ's sufferings, since without a lance the blood flowed freely. No need to put on the leech or apply the knife. It flows spontaneously. No need for the rulers to cry, Spring up, O well. Of itself it flows in crimson torrents. If men suffer great pain of mind, apparently the blood rushes to the heart, the cheeks are pale, a fainting fit comes on, the blood has gone inward as if to nourish the inner man while passing through its trial. But see our Saviour in his agony. He is so utterly oblivious of self that instead of his agony driving his blood to the heart to nourish himself, it drives it outward to bedew the earth. The agony of Christ, inasmuch as it pours him out upon the ground, pictures the fullness of the offering which he made for men. Do we not perceive how intense must have been the wrestling through which he passed? And will we not hear its voice to us? Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Behold the great apostle and high priest of our profession, and sweat even to blood, rather than yield to the great tempter of your souls. was heard in that he feared. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Did this fear arise from the infernal suggestion that he was utterly forsaken? There may be sterner trials than this, but surely it is one of the worst to be utterly forsaken. See, said Satan, thou hast a friend nowhere. Thy father hath shut up the bowels of his compassion against thee. Not an angel in his courts will stretch out his hand to help thee. All heaven is alienated from thee. Thou art left alone. See the companions with whom thou hast taken sweet counsel. What are they worth? Son of Mary, See there thy brother James, see there thy loved disciple John, and thy bold apostle Peter, how the cowards sleep when thou art in thy sufferings. Lo, 
Thou hast no friend left in heaven or in earth. All hell is against thee. I have stirred up mine infernal den. I have sent my missives throughout all regions, summoning every prince of darkness to set upon thee this night. And we will spare no arrows. We will use all our infernal might to overwhelm thee. And what wilt thou do, thou solitary one? It may be this was the temptation. We think it was, because the appearance of an angel unto him, strengthening him, removed that fear. He was heard in that he feared. He was no more alone, but heaven was with him. It may be that this is the reason of his coming three times to his disciples. As Hart puts it, backwards and forwards thrice he ran, as if he sought some help from man. He would see for himself whether it were really true that all men had forsaken him. He found them all asleep, but perhaps he gained some faint comfort from the thought that they were sleeping not from treachery, but from sorrow. The spirit indeed was willing, but the flesh was weak. At any rate, he was heard in that he feared. Jesus was heard in his deepest woe. My soul, thou shalt be heard also. Jesus said unto them, If ye seek me, let these go their way. John chapter 18, verse 8. Mark, my soul, the care which Jesus manifested even in his hour of trial towards the sheep of his hand. The ruling passion is strong in death. He resigns himself to the enemy, but he interposes a word of power to set his disciples free. As to himself, like a sheep, before her shearers he is dumb and opened not his mouth, but for his disciples' sake he speaks with almighty energy. Herein is love, constant, self-forgetting, faithful love. But is there not far more here than is to be found upon the surface? Have we not the very soul and spirit of the atonement in these words? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and pleads that they must therefore go free. The surety is bound, and justice demands that those for whom he stands a substitute should go their way. In the midst of Egypt's bondage, that voice rings as a word of power, Let these go their way, 
Out of the slavery of sin and Satan, the redeemed must come. In every cell of the dungeons of despair, the sound is echoed. Let these go their way. And forth come despondency and much afraid. Satan hears the well-known voice and lifts his foot from the neck of the fallen, and death hears it, and the grave opens her gates to let the dead arise. Their way is one of progress, holiness, triumph, glory, and none shall dare to stay them in it. No lion shall be on their way, neither shall any ravenous beast go up thereon. The hind of the morning has drawn the cruel hunters upon himself, and now the most timid rows and hinds of the field may graze at perfect peace among the lilies of his loves. The thundercloud has burst over the cross of Calvary, and the pilgrims of Zion shall never be smitten by the bolts of vengeance. Come, my heart, rejoice in the immunity which thy Redeemer has secured thee, and bless his name all the day and every day. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. He never deserted them, but they, in cowardly fear of their lives, fled from him in the very beginning of his sufferings. This is but one instructive instance of the frailty of all believers if left to themselves. They are but sheep at the best, and they flee when the wolf cometh. They had all been warned of the danger and had promised to die rather than leave their master, and yet they were seized with sudden panic and took to their heels. It may be that I, at the opening of this day, have braced up my mind to bear a trial for the Lord's sake, and I imagine myself to be certain to exhibit perfect fidelity. But let me be very jealous of myself, lest, having the same evil heart of unbelief, I should depart from my Lord as the apostles did. It is one thing to promise, and quite another to perform. It would have been to their eternal honor to have stood at Jesus' side right manfully. They fled from honor. May I be kept from imitating them. 
Where else could they have been so safe as near their master, who could presently call for twelve legions of angels? They fled from their true safety. O oh God, let me not play the fool also. Divine grace can make the coward brave. The smoking flax can flame forth like fire on the altar when the Lord wills it. These very apostles, who were timid as hares, grew to be bold as lions after the Spirit had descended upon them. And even so, the Holy Spirit can make my recreant spirit brave to confess my Lord and witness for his truth. What anguish must have filled the Savior as he saw his friends so faithless. This was one bitter ingredient in his cup, but that cup is drained dry. Let me not put another drop in it. If I forsake my Lord, I shall crucify him afresh and put him to an open shame. Keep me, O blessed Spirit, from an end so shameful. to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And you're listening to part one of a special Easter edition of Nightlight, in which we're enjoying the classic and timeless devotionals of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. These readings are taken from his morning and evening daily devotionals. I've selected ones that pertain to the Easter story. The beautiful instrumentals, by the way, are all by Michael Dooley. Let's take a break for a devotional song sung by Michael Dooley's daughter, Joanna, and then we'll be back with more of Charles Spurgeon's devotional thoughts on the Easter story.
He was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Why did Jesus suffer himself to be enrolled amongst sinners? This wonderful condescension was justified by many powerful reasons. In such a character, he could the better become their advocate. In some trials, there is an identification of the counsellor with the client, nor can they be looked upon in the eye of the law as apart from one another. Now, when the sinner is brought to the bar, Jesus appears there himself. He stands to answer the accusation. He points to his side, his hands, his feet, and challenges justice to bring anything against the sinners whom he represents. He pleads his blood, and pleads so triumphantly, being numbered with them and having a part with them, that the judge proclaims, Let them go their way, deliver them from going down into the pit, for he hath found a ransom. Our Lord Jesus was numbered with the transgressors in order that they might feel their hearts drawn towards him. Who can be afraid of one who is written in the same list with us? Surely we may come boldly to him and confess our guilt. He who is numbered with us cannot condemn us. Was he not put down in the transgressors' list that he might be written in the red roll of the saints? He was holy and written among the holy. We were guilty and numbered among the guilty. He transfers his name from yonder list to this black indictment, and our names are taken from the indictment and written in the roll of acceptance, for there is a complete transfer made between Jesus and his people. All our estate of misery and sin Jesus has taken away, and all that Jesus has comes to us. His righteousness, his blood, and everything that he hath, he gives us as our dowry. Rejoice, believer, in your union to him who was numbered among the transgressors, and prove that you are truly saved by being manifestly numbered with those who are new creatures in him.
With his stripes we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. Pilate delivered our Lord to the lictors to be scourged. The Roman scourge was a most dreadful instrument of torture. It was made of the sinews of oxen, and sharp bones were intertwisted every here and there among the sinews, so that every time the lash came down, these pieces of bone inflicted fearful laceration and tore off the flesh from the bone. The Saviour was no doubt bound to the column and thus beaten. He had been beaten before, but this of the Roman lictors was probably the most severe of his flagellations. My soul, stand here and weep over his poor, stricken body. Believer in Jesus, can you gaze upon him without tears as he stands before you the mirror of agonizing love? He is at once fair as the lily for innocence and red as the rose with the crimson of his own blood. As we feel the sure and blessed healing which his stripes have wrought in us, does not our heart melt at once with love and grief? If ever we have loved our Lord Jesus, surely we must feel that affection glowing now within our bosoms. See how the patient Jesus stands, insulted in his lowest case. Sinners have bound the Almighty's hands and spit in their Creator's face. With thorns his temples, gored and gashed, send streams of blood from every part, his backs with knotted scourges lashed, but sharper scourges tear his heart. We would fain go to our chambers and weep, but since our business calls us away, we will first pray our beloved to print the image of his bleeding self upon the tablets of our hearts all the day, and at nightfall we will return to commune with him and sorrow that our sin should have cost him so dear. He answered him, 
to never a word. Matthew chapter 27 verse 14. He had never been slow of speech when he could bless the sons of men, but he would not say a single word for himself. Never man spake like this man, and never man was silent like him. Was this singular silence the index of his perfect self-sacrifice? Did it show that he would not utter a word to stay the slaughter of his sacred person which he had dedicated as an offering for us? Had he so entirely surrendered himself that he would not interfere in his own behalf, even in the minutest degree, but be bound and slain an unstruggling, uncomplaining victim? Was this silence a type of the defenselessness of sin? Nothing can be said in palliation or excuse of human guilt. And therefore, he who bore its whole weight stood speechless before his judge. Is not patient silence the best reply to a gainsaying world? Calm endurance answers some questions infinitely more conclusively than the loftiest eloquence. The best apologists for Christianity in the early days were its martyrs. The anvil breaks a host of hammers by quietly bearing their blows. Did not the silent Lamb of God furnish us with a grand example of wisdom, where every word was occasion for new blasphemy, it was the line of duty to afford no fuel for the flame of sin. The ambiguous and the false, the unworthy and mean, will ere long overthrow and confute themselves, and therefore the true can afford to be quiet and finds silence to be its wisdom. Evidently our Lord, by his silence, furnished a remarkable fulfillment of prophecy. A long defense of himself would have been contrary to Isaiah's prediction, he is led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. By his quiet, he conclusively proved himself to be the true Lamb of God. As such, we salute him this morning. Be with us, Jesus, and in the silence of our heart, let us hear the voice of thy love.
They took Jesus and led him away. John chapter 19, verse 16. He had been all night in agony. He had spent the early morning at the hall of Caiaphas. He had been hurried from Caiaphas to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod, and from Herod back again to Pilate. He had therefore but little strength left, and yet neither refreshment nor rest were permitted him. They were eager for his blood, and therefore led him out to die, loaded with the cross. Oh, dolorous procession! Well may Salem's daughters weep. My soul, do thou weep also. What learn we here as we see our blessed Lord led forth? Do we not perceive that truth which was set forth in shadow by the scapegoat? Did not the high priest bring the scapegoat and put both his hands upon its head, confessing the sins of the people, that thus those sins might be laid upon the goat and cease from the people? Then the goat was led away by a fit man into the wilderness, and it carried away the sins of the people, so that if they were sought for, they could not be found. Now we see Jesus brought before the priests and rulers who pronounce him guilty. God himself imputes our sins to him. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was made sin for us. And as the substitute for our guilt, bearing our sin upon his shoulders, represented by the cross. We see the great scapegoat led away by the appointed officers of justice. Beloved, can you feel assured that he carried your sin? As you look at the cross upon his shoulders, does it represent your sin? There is one way by which you can tell whether he carried your sin or not. Have you laid your hand upon his head, confessed your sin, and trusted in him? Then your sin lies not on you. It has all been transferred by blessed imputation to Christ, and he bears it on his shoulder as a load heavier than the cross. Let not the picture vanish till you have rejoiced in your own deliverance and adored the loving Redeemer upon whom your iniquities were laid.
On him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. Luke chapter 23, verse 26. We see in Simon's carrying the cross a picture of the work of the church throughout all generations. She is the cross-bearer after Jesus. Mark then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross not that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. But let us comfort ourselves with this thought that in our case, as in Simon's, it's not our cross, but Christ's cross which we carry. When you are molested for your piety, when your religion brings the trial of cruel mockings upon you, then remember it is not your cross, it is Christ's cross. And how delightful it is to carry the cross of our Lord Jesus. You carry the cross after him. You have blessed company. Your path is marked with the footprints of your Lord. The mark of his blood-red shoulder is upon that heavy burden. Tis his cross, and he goes before you as a shepherd goes before his sheep. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Do not forget also that you bear this cross in partnership. It is the opinion of some that Simon only carried one end of the cross and not the whole of it. That is very possible. Christ may have carried the heavier part against the transverse beam and Simon may have borne the lighter end. Certainly it is so with you. You do but carry the light end of the cross. Christ bore the heavier end. And remember, though Simon had to bear the cross for a very little while, it gave him lasting honor. Even so, the cross we carry is only for a little while at most, and then we shall receive the crown, the glory. Surely, we should love the cross, and instead of shrinking from it, count it very dear when it works out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory.
If they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Luke chapter 23 verse 31. Among other interpretations of this suggestive question, the following is full of teaching. If the innocent substitute for sinners suffer thus, what shall be done when the sinner himself, the dry tree, shall fall into the hands of an angry God? When God saw Jesus in the sinner's place, he did not spare him. And when he finds the unregenerate without Christ, he will not spare them. O oh, sinner, Jesus was led away by his enemies. So shall you be dragged away by fiends to the place appointed for you. Jesus was deserted of God. And if he, who was only imputedly a sinner, was deserted, how much more shall you be? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. What an awful shriek. But what shall be your cry when you shall say, O God, O God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the answer shall come back, because ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. If God spared not his own son, how much less will he spare you? What whips of burning wire will be yours when conscience shall smite you with all its terrors? Ye richest, ye merriest, ye most self-righteous sinners, who would stand in your place when God shall say, Awake, O sword, against the man that rejected me. Smite him, and let him feel the smart for ever. Jesus was spat upon. Sinner, what shame will be yours? We cannot sum up in one word all the mass of sorrows which met upon the head of Jesus who died for us. Therefore, it is impossible for us to tell you what streams, what oceans of grief must roll over your spirit if you die as you now are. You may die so. You may die now. By the agonies of Christ, by his wounds and by his blood, do not bring upon yourselves the wrath to come. Trust in the Son of God, and you shall never die. Please.
Shirley singing earnestly and tenderly brings us to the end of part one of this year's Nightlight Easter special. Part two coming soon as we carry on enjoying Charles Spurgeon's timeless insights into the Easter story. Lots more classic and modern devotional readings at my website www.chrisglynn.com. Also over 170 Nightlight shows there, including the Easter specials from previous years, which you'll also enjoy if you want to go in and dig them out. So that's it from me for now. Happy Easter, everyone, and God bless.